This is the second episode of ADHD Wild Women and I'm your host Kat Ellinger. Now in typical ADHD style I'd planned this podcast long ago and it took me a long time to organize it, a long time to get off my backside and record it and also in typical ADHD style I did this very elaborate planning section where I filled a spreadsheet with potential topics. And then I got so fixated on the first episode that I just had to get that out. I spent the last few months ruminating on that and put all my energy into that and publish it. And then I'm like, okay, what next? I'm looking at the sheet and I'm like, what next? Because it could potentially go anywhere. And in the end, I just thought, start at the beginning. Start at the thing that that really begins our journey into acceptance as ADHD women, and that's diagnosis. So maybe you're listening to this because you have your diagnosis and you're trying to get your head around your diagnosis. Maybe you are looking to get a diagnosis, or maybe you are just very early on in your journey and considering a diagnosis. But I thought I'd talk about why we need diagnosis, why diagnosis is so important to us, why it's actually vital as the first step in our journey, and why we often meet barriers, these pitfalls, to getting people to accept our diagnosis. Also in true ADHD style, I'm going to kick this off with a bit of a tangent story. Because I want to talk about this idea of labelling and this how this idea of labelling gets in the way of taking an ADHD diagnosis seriously. I said in the first episode that all of my five children are neurodiverse. They're either on the autism spectrum or they have a diagnosis of ADHD, or they're both. They have both of those things. But in the UK, largely due to austerity and cuts that we've had in the health service over the last decade or so, child mental health services in my area are poor, and they're not functioning at all. And so when it came to looking at getting a diagnosis of autism for my youngest who was really really struggling at school I was met with a series of gatekeepers and we went into this system into the child and young adult mental health system and were fobbed off by various quote-unquote professionals and I was given all these reasons why my son might be like he is I knew that he was on the spectrum. He's not the only one in the family. But I was fobbed off with things like, you let him play too many video games, or he's just socially awkward, or he's just shy, or it's just this, or it's your parenting. And by the seventh year of this, I was starting to really lose my patience. We'd been sent to yet another quote-unquote professional, and I say this because this person didn't seem to have any understanding of what autism was or or wasn't. And we were sent to these sessions with her, which mainly involved her advising social activities that she found on Google. 
And I tolerated this for a bit and I thought maybe if we jump through a few more hoops, I'll actually get to the neurologist or the psychiatrist or actually get to speak to a professional. But after several sessions, it started to become very clear that we were not heading anywhere. And so I stop this woman and say, is there a point to this? When are we going to get to the diagnosis? And she replied, well, we don't like to label kids. Now, this idea of labeling, it's like a, it's like a double-edged sword. In recent decades, we have seen many more kids being diagnosed with ADHD or being on the autism spectrum. And there's this ridiculous argument that it's just a modern phenomenon. And really, these things don't exist. And that is especially true of ADHD. That it's just modern diets are too dominant in sugar, or kids have low attention spans because they play too many video games, they watch too much TV. And yet, I grew up in the late 70s, I was born in 74, grew up throughout the 70s and into the 80s, very strict diet. My mother was very strict on things like sugar. We didn't often get treats, no video games. And go figure, I still end up with bloody ADHD because it's it's not caused by those things. Of course, there are certain things that can make your ADHD symptoms worse. And diet can be one of them. Distractions can be another. And that's more about managing our environment. But these are not the causes of ADHD. So because we have more of a diagnosis there is this kickback to think they're just labeling kids they're just calling kids special needs and they're shoveling medication into their faces and this isn't actually a medical problem it's a social one and so labeling can be damaging and that is really unhelpful because for a start ADHD and ASD they are neurological conditions they are physical states in the case of ADHD and this has been scientifically proven time and time and time again that it is due to certain neurotransmitters not receiving enough dopamine not receiving enough chemicals and hormones so this is an actual thing it's an actual condition it is not something to do with the environment and I also don't really agree with the new theory that started to emerge via people like Gabor Mate that ADHD is caused by trauma I I don't that doesn't sit well with me either because it has been proven that it's a, a neurological state it is a different operating system and they can actually pick this up on brain scans So to be told this by a so-called mental health professional that we do not like to label kids, this label, it can follow them around their whole lives. Now, not only did this seem ridiculously ableist to me and therefore offensive, and as if she was treating ASD like a dirty thing, like a dirty thing that you wouldn't want your kid to have that, Just the total misunderstanding, and I do understand that she was there as a gatekeeper as well, so I don't even know if she agreed with what she was saying, or that was just the party line that they'd been given to to spiel out to parents to, I guess, excuse the fact that they didn't have any 
doctors to see these kids and give diagnosis. I'm not really sure what her motivation was to say that, but it was at that moment that I stepped into my, I guess like my goodwill hunting speech. You know, it almost felt like it was a Hollywood film and I got up to the podium and I said this thing about how it's not labelling. Because when you get a diagnosis, it levels the playing field. And so I gave this huge emotive speech about how I was the kid who didn't get the diagnosis and what happens to that kid when they're not diagnosed and when they then go into adulthood and even into middle age, not knowing how that damages your sense of self, how that damages your sense of self-esteem, how you internalize all the negativity that you hear because you can't get certain things right and how that really takes a toll on you. And so this isn't about labeling and giving people special labels and demanding special treatment. What diagnosis does is it levels the playing field because in a neurotypical world, and we do live in a neurotypical world, a world designed for neurotypical people, which in the West, It's a capitalist world as well, which has specific rules, the nine to five, productivity, all these things. The ADHD people and neurodiverse people in general can struggle with. And so within that environment, we have a disability. And therefore, in acknowledging, in diagnosing, we level the playing field Because then we have a a point, we have, I don't know how it works elsewhere, but in the UK, ADHD is an accepted disability, and therefore that gives you certain legal rights. It also gives you a position to go to potential employers, or just anyone that you're going to work with, or just people in general, and you can explain to them, I have ADHD and I need these, I guess, adjustments. And I'm not saying that should give people license to demand anything or just not do things. Of course, there are certain things, even though we live in a disabling environment and we struggle with that, you know, we do also have to get on. But it does make life a lot easier if you can get on with certain adjustments. If you can speak freely and you can consider, I have this disability, I need such and such and such and such. It might be if you're working in a busy office that you're allowed to wear noise-cancelling headphones or sit somewhere where you're not as distracted. With me, because I'm a freelance writer and I work with a lot of clients, I will ta- I'll be very open with my clients and I'll say, I need very specific deadlines because quite often my clients come to me with a vague idea or a vague a vague notion or sometime in May next year, you know, that's that's not going to get done. So I can say to my client, I basically need one very clear instructions of what you're expecting from this, from, from me, you know, a, a very specific spec. And I also need a solid deadline. That's what I need from you. And I feel like I can ask for that now because it feels like I'm advocating for my rights which is interesting because pre-diagnosis, when I 
masked and tried to pretend that I could do it all because I struggled so much but was so terrified and I think a lot of us feel this way was so terrified that someone would find out that I couldn't manage that I would hide it I would take everything on myself I would never ask for help I was one of those people who would have to do everything myself I was so scared that I didn't look capable and so I would overperform and I think that sort of perfectionism and overperformance and over delivery is one of the things that comes off the back of ADHD in that we are terrified to admit our vulnerabilities because we sit often with this internal monologue that is saying you messed it up again you got it wrong again what are you doing and we're so set on masking and so set on trying to prove to everybody that we can do everything competently it's just putting us into this box this pressure cooker eventually that's going to explode eventually you're going to hit burnout and that's exactly what happened to me but prior to diagnosis when I didn't really understand the mechanisms of my ADHD the the challenges in my ADHD let alone the strengths I was very much the typical people pleaser I would often underestimate things take too much on and would never ever ask for help or admit that I couldn't do something when I got myself into trouble I would just try and work through it just work through it even if it meant no sleep no social life no whatever And that is no way to live. Nobody can sustain that. It is not sustainable. And I think that's why a lot of us do hit ADHD burnout by middle age. And that's where a lot of us who haven't had the benefit of a diagnosis to understand this, that's when we start asking those questions. What is this? And how do I improve it? And so that is why we need diagnosis. It gives us validity it legitimizes the struggles that we have in a very legal framework and that is vital that is important and it's also something we're entitled to as well everybody is entitled to a certain quality of life in our society to a certain understanding and if we have those disabilities we have a legal requirement that people with disabilities are supported especially in work environments and that we have that understanding and that we have that help and support and so that's why we need that not just for ourselves not just for our own sanity but also because it it gives us that legitimacy even if other people don't fully understand what they are dealing with to be honest I've not come across one single client that I've worked with that has not made accommodations for me and has not been absolutely fine about it. And I know that's not the situation for everybody, but I think just being very straightforward, some people are just so taken aback by that that they're just like, oh, okay, cool. And the other thing I wanted to talk about is not everybody is cool with diagnosis. So diagnosis is important it's vital it levels the playing field it gives us a certain framework to understand ourselves for others to understand us but also to advocate for our own personal rights especially within the workplace but not everybody is going to understand that to go back to the labeling woman 
And she obviously didn't think it was very important. She seemed to think things like ASD and ADHD go away in adulthood, and they don't. It always makes me laugh when people call it adult ADHD. Now, there is no adult ADHD and child ADHD. It is just ADHD. I think I think it's been more than proven by now that ADHD is not something that you outgrow. If you're diagnosed with ADHD, you have always had ADHD and you will always have ADHD. That's just how it is. Like I said, different operating system. It's not something that you can just outgrow and to live within this neurotypical space we do need to find certain strategies to deal with certain challenges that we meet but that doesn't mean that we have to deal with everything we can become I guess more discerning about what we focus our energy on what is more important what's other people and what's us and that's certainly been my personal journey Talking of diagnosis, though, and I did touch on this in the very first episode, diagnosis, for those coming into diagnosis, diagnosis is just the start, obviously, and it doesn't fix everything. It gives you the, I guess, the clear answer. It gives you this framework to understand yourself with. But the actual process of diagnosis and then post-diagnosis, for me... And, and I know this is true of, of so many other people that have been through this process. It was rough. It was rough. Once I had that confirmation, it took me a while to come to terms with it for a start. I had my own ableist beliefs, my own ableist bias, I guess, and these very high standards for myself. And being disabled was just wasn't acceptable to me. I could not possibly be disabled. It's taken me like over five years to really come to terms with the fact that that was just internalized ableism and actually, you know, that wasn't me. That didn't come from me. That came from society. It came from work. It came from certain family traumas. It came from all different things, but it wasn't actually me. It wasn't what I believed at my core. And so I had to work through that. Getting prepared for a diagnosis, though, is always tough because quite often, and I was actually lucky in the the person I I've been diagnosed twice. Actually, I had to go. I went once privately, and then I went once through the NHS because I was on the NHS waiting list, and it was it was really long. And ADHD, I've got no bloody patience, so I actually went private first, and I thought that might give me some leverage with NHS, but it didn't. So then I went through their thing. But going through that actual process of diagnosis for a start, that was the first challenge because you have to be really honest about everything. And of course, we carry a lot of shame. And going into this confessional and actually admitting your worst, you know, the worst things that you've ever done, that to me was kind of emotionally harrowing, but I knew it was it was necessary but sometimes you're not so lucky and you're going to hit a wall. You're going to meet the labeling woman who is going to tell you that you don't have ADHD because. And I see this in some of the Facebook groups that I'm in all the time. Women that have been turned away and told that they're just depressed or anxious because of some bizarre arbitrary reason that actually has nothing to do with the fact 
that you have ADHD or not. Oh, you've got a graduate degree, so you can't have ADHD. Oh, you've held down a long-term job, so you can't have ADHD. And it's not really about that. It's about getting the bigger picture. The thing that, that really defines ADHD is whether you have these challenges, whether you have these challenges in life, these constant challenges. So they're going to be looking at your whole childhood And again, I was fortunate in that my dad is a complete hoarder. He had my old school reports, and I'll have to do an episode on them because they are like the ADHD kid, but nobody picked up on that. So I was lucky that I could get to my appointment with a sack load of school reports. Can't sit still, can't focus, won't stop talking, doesn't complete her homework, constantly forgets her equipment has so much potential but doesn't live up to it, lazy, blah, blah, you know, the typical thing. And so I had those to say, look, this is this, this this started in primary school. So you go through that and it feels like you're cracking yourself open to a certain extent and having to really show all the things that you've probably been holding on to and hiding and masking, certain things that you probably feel ashamed for. And it's just getting over that, you know. So my advice for that would be be very prepared. I actually took in very lengthy notes, and I know a lot of people who do this because we're ADHD, it turns into a bloody thesis, a 20,000-word thesis on the story of my life. But having that there gave me some clarity, you know. I knew what I was going to answer to certain questions, and, you know, I did go in half expecting to meet gatekeeping and half expecting to be turned away or told that I was wasting their time on so on and so forth. I was actually shocked when they said, no, you do have ADHD, which is bizarre. It is bizarre why I thought that. But again, there's a lot of gaslighting involved. And so my advice there would be if you if you don't get the diagnosis and you still feel that that's what it might be, get a second opinion. Get informed, get a second opinion. Go in prepared as well. And then give yourself some time be really kind to yourself and give yourself some rest afterwards because it's difficult the other thing they do in the UK I don't know if this is true of other places but you get somebody who knows you very well to fill in this questionnaire don't read it don't read it I read mine and I was like oh my god and obviously the person I'd asked to do it I trusted them and I wanted them to be honest but don't read it because it's like, yeah, you you don't want to see that. Of course, we're nosy and we're curious by nature. So someone hands you a written document about you. ADHD impulsivity is like, read it, read it, don't read it. <laughs> it's, mine wasn't really awful. I guess it's just a shock, you know, because people who care about you often tone it down. So And then you're like, be completely honest. And then you're like, oh, my God, you know, I don't do that, do I? So don't do that don't read it and then once you get post-diagnosis give yourself some time just really give yourself some time I saw something in a group about this the other day about how you know getting into therapy in general it opens up this whole box where you come often to a realization that things could have been different and that is very much how it was for me post-ADHD. I went through what I can only describe as an extended grieving period. And it really was like 
the cycle of grief. So you start off with maybe denial, which I had for a little while. I can't possibly be disabled. This is just rubbish, blah, blah, blah. And then it got into this period. I can't remember which one came first, but there was a period of anger. There was this period of anger for every professional that had ever let me down, for every school teacher and boss who had not understood. And I felt very angry and I felt very bitter about that. And there was also this very long period of sadness. Sadness for the life that I think I could have had if X hadn't happened or X hadn't happened or I hadn't made this stupid decision or if somebody had understood or if I hadn't lost that job or if I just kept my shit together and it went on like that. And so I'm not trying to be scary. I'm just saying, you know, be prepared for that because that's absolutely natural to go through that. And as we go through that, I talked about episode one, how we sing over the bones and recreate our new selves. That was the period of singing because it was assessing everything from my old life and this new person that I'd I'd now come to be. And it was sorting out what I needed to park, what I needed to bury and what I wanted to embrace. So it wasn't this real doom and gloom as well, because at the same time, I was also learning so much about me and how I responded to things. And so it was like this double-sided thing where there were some really good highs, but there were also some lows as well. And again, it is a period where I would say, and I know not everybody has the the benefit to access this but if you can get some form of support like a counsellor or even a friend who really understands or someone who you can talk this stuff out with I would really recommend that that's when I eventually went into counselling and I'm not well off I found a counsellor who was very reasonable and I'm still with her now who could fit into my budget and my budget isn't great so there are options there especially if you look around online you can do things via zoom these days you know you're not limited by location but we have really been on this journey for the last five years where I've reframed certain things and it's a process you get to the end of that process now five years on I'm a completely different person to the one I was then I'm a lot more confident I'm I'm not entirely happy with some of my challenges that I still face but I guess I've I've come to a point of acceptance rather than conflict with those challenges and problems and now I also work with an ADHD coach who is very good and she helps keep me motivated and she helps keep me grounded it's because of her that this podcast finally got off the ground because god I've been talking about it for years boring the hell out of all the people around me who don't give a toss about ADHD so now I get to talk to you guys about it and you're probably much more interested than they are And everyone's like, oh, for God's sake, just get on with it. So, yeah, I also have a coach. But it is accepting that it is a start of a journey. And it is all about giving yourself that space, giving yourself that kindness. Forgiving yourself is also a really uh, important part of that. You know, just letting go of all the guilt that we often hang on to. Just letting it go. Just letting it go and, and accepting that, you can't actually change what's what's been, but you can build on what you have now. 
And I'm at a point now where if I could go back and change it and get diagnosed at 16, you know, just go back and change it or not have ADHD, I actually wouldn't go back and change it because I just don't think, even if I'd been diagnosed earlier, I don't think I had the maturity to handle that. You know, it took until I got into my 40s to really make something of this, I think. And so diagnosis is an important thing. And it, and it, to us, or to many of us, it can feel like a, a rebirth in certain ways. But that rebirth will be part of a journey. It doesn't come overnight. It also requires a lot of work. But it's worth it. I'm here at the other end to just say it is worth it. If you're thinking, should I? Absolutely, yes. If if that's what's at the, the core of you, if that's nagging you, then the do it. Because I think once I got settled on the idea, it's like I just had to know. And of course, I wasn't prepared for the rest because nobody was talking about this stuff. But it did open me up to new opportunities and really to move on, to move on in my life probably for the first time ever. You know, I was so stuck in these old cycles and these old habits. But always with kindness, you know, it's not going to be easy and there are going to be days, I still have days like this now. I consider myself an ADHD advocate, but there's days I absolutely hate the fact that I have ADHD and I think we go through that frequently. But knowing, I would much rather know and I'd much rather deal with that than what I had before. So that brings me to the end of this episode. I hope you've enjoyed this. Of course, reach out and get in touch. Let me know if you've enjoyed the show. Like and share on social media. Help spread the word. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until next time.